Thank you for joining us today as Pastor Tim shares the Word of God. Our prayer is that your life will be touched by the Spirit of Almighty God and constant, powerful truths that can be applied to your everyday life. Let's join Pastor Tim with today's message. Paul is giving us his spiritual biography. And in verse 1 through verse 11, his past. Verse 12 through verse 16, his present. And verse 17 through 21, his future. And we are seeing three different perspectives from Paul in this. In verse 1 through 11, we see Paul, the accountant, who discovers new values. And he uses uh, accounting terms, talking about new values in life. When you come to know the Lord, your value system will completely change. What you thought was very important and worth a lot, uh, you come to find out that's not important nor worth a lot at all. And what maybe you overlooked in life, you find that was the most important. So one of the first things that happens to you when you get turned on to the Lord and make Jesus Lord of your life, your values in life, what you value changes. Verse 12 through verse 16, Paul takes on the persona or uses the athlete that is pressing toward the finish line, the athlete that is competing, pressing toward uh, that tape. Then verse 17 through verse 21, uh, the alien. His citizenship is not here. He's not from this world. Paul the alien, I'm here, but uh, my citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. Paul is using the spiritual mind, and by this, Paul looks at everything on this earth from a spiritual point of view. And you have to learn to do this in your life or you will get all fouled up where your values are concerned. You look at life through an eternal perspective. You look at life through spiritual eyes. You look at life from God's point of view, not from man's point of view. And when you do that, it changes everything for you. As a result of this view, and and when you learn to look at life from God's view, not not a human view, when you do that, then life doesn't upset you. That's how you live in joy in the midst of imperfect world, in the midst of imperfect situations, in the midst of a lot of personal difficulties we go through. You live in joy because you view everything different. You view things behind you, You view things around you, and then you view things before you from an eternal, from a spiritual perspective, and it changes your response in life. Let's get started here. Chapter 3, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. 
Look what he says, verse 12. Not as though I have already attained or achieved. Today, apathy is in control of most individuals' life and certainly for a society. Apathy. You know, most everybody wishes they were better off, but they're not going to do anything or make any changes in their life to make that happen. We wish for a better set of circumstances, but we're going to continue to do exactly how we've done it. We're going to live life exactly how we've lived life. We're going to keep doing the same thing. We're going to keep managing the money the same way. We're going to keep talking to one another the same way. We're, but we, I mean, we wish we were somewhere different. You know, self-evaluation can be dangerous because you can err in two directions. Number one, you can think yourself a lot better than you really ought to. And, and that plagues a lot of people. You, you, you think more highly of yourself than you really ought to be thinking. Number two, you make yourself worse than you really ought to. Inferiority and insecurity, and a few battle that, most battle the other, because pride pretty much has its hold on us. Paul has no illusions about himself. I'm not, I'm not there. I'm, I've not arrived yet. Now, you look at all the good that Paul is doing, but yet he says, in the midst of all that I'm doing, I am well aware that I am not there yet, but what I'm doing is still pressing. Well, it's just the way I am, like it or leave it. That's the way I am now. You can dislike me. You can go get somebody else to be a friend because this way. Look, I'm pressing to do this better. I'm pressing to be more like God. I am moving myself forward. Now, don't, don't misunderstand here. I'm not there yet. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm sure pushing forward to what lies ahead. Verse 13, look what he says. This one thing I do. I focus on this one thing. One thing. One thing is a phrase that's very important to the Christian life. Just a few quick scriptures. We won't turn there, but if you want to write these down. Mark 10, 21, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, one thing you lack. Luke 10, 42, Jesus said to Martha, there is one thing that is needful. John 20, uh, 19, 25, the man that received sight said, there's one thing I know for sure. Psalms 27, 4, one thing I have desired of the Lord. As you read the Bible, you become aware that one thing continues to be a common thread all the way through the Word. Too many Christians have their focus on too many things. Now, clearly, we got a lot of place to spend. Clearly, we have a lot of activities that we're involved in. But you walk in a new level of joy when your focus is on one thing. See, when your focus is on one thing, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, Nehemiah, I'm not coming down off of this wall and be distracted in the direction that I'm going in life. James 1, 8 says the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, and he don't need to think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. We've got to get one thing focused, one thing focused. Now, and like I say, we do a lot of things, and we, we spend a lot of plates, but we've got to make one thing our focus. I'm, I'm working cattle, and I'm sorting and separating cattle, but my focus is on my attitude, on my godly lifestyle, on my godly tongue, on my godly temper. 
just out by myself working cattle. The cattle in my focus, my life with the Lord is my focus. So I mean, you're out doing other things. It's not like all I do is sit around and read the Bible all day. No, Paul did a lot of things, made tents, he preached, he traveled, he, he did a lot of things, but his focus wasn't on all of these things. You, you err in life when you get so multi-focused that the one thing is not your focus. Paul said, one thing I'm focused on. Now, in the midst of all that I'm doing here, one thing I'm focused on. Verse 13, looking forward to what's ahead. We run our race toward the future. And you got to stop living your life in the past. What you did wrong or what you did right. What you are embarrassed and ashamed of or what you're boastful and proud of, it's in the past. What I do is I look forward to what God has for me ahead. What is my next step ahead? One thing I do, I focus on what lies before me. You never go anywhere in life wallowing over the past. And Paul said, my focus. Now, there's a word that we, I don't think we understand. The word forget. Look at this word, verse 13, the end of verse 13. Forgetting the past. Now, that word in this context does not mean that you fail to remember it. Apart from senility or a brain malfunction, nobody forgets. But at my age, I vacillate between senility and brain malfunction. But outside those, you don't forget. Well, Jim, I just can't forget it. I just can't forget it. I just, you're not supposed to. You can't forget it. And God made it where you can't forget it because when you forget it, then you are destined to repeat it and do it again. Don't ever forget what you did. But clearly, don't forget it. I want it to be right there. Because anytime that temptation, anytime that opportunity, whoa, I'm out of here. Don't forget it. You're not going to have amnesia and forget it. That's not what that word means. That's not what it says. He doesn't want you to forget your past life because that's what keeps me pushing forward, going ahead. Because I know what I am when I get my eyes off of the Lord. To forget in this context here means, and let me give you this definition, no longer to be influenced by or affected by it. No longer to be influenced by it or affected by it. Clearly, you remember the event. You remember what you did. Clearly, you remember it in living color, what you did. But I am no longer affected by it. It no longer has influence over me. What I did no longer hurts me no longer pains me, no longer torments me. I don't wallow in guilt over it. I don't wallow in self-hatred over it. My past does not affect or influence my day today. Hebrews 10, 17, God says, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. God does not suffer from amnesia. It's impossible for God to forget. He sees the beginning from the end. 
you understand what that word forget means. God didn't forget what you did. God is saying what you did no longer affects me or influences me. God didn't have amnesia, but what you did no longer influences him. I stand right and clean before him, not under his wrath and judgment. I still did what I did. I still lived the way I lived, but it is not affecting God to judge me, which I deserve, to punish me, which I deserve, or to sentence me, which I deserve. My sin no longer affects God's decision about me. Therefore, he sees me white as snow. He sees me clean. My sin, he remembers no more. Now, are you understanding this context? So you've got to, in your life, stop trying to have amnesia about your past. Stop trying to have senility or a brain malfunction about your past. What you do is you convert that to where it no longer influences you. You can't change your past. You change the meaning of your past. That's what it means to forget the past. Paul didn't forget the fact that he stood there and watched Stephen be stoned. He remembers, he remembers that very well, but that is no longer influencing him in his life because that guy is dead, that guy has been buried, that guy is no longer alive. Here is a new man that is going forward. The things which are behind you must be set behind you. And the things that are before you must be set before you in your mind. Now, you're going to get all fouled up when you are trying to live the Christian life and keep bringing your past and putting that in the front of your mind. You, you will live fouled up because that's not the way God has in mind for you to live. It says, I regarded myself and then I regard others. Say something, another thing about Forgetting, not letting what you did influence you. You don't let what somebody else did influence you. You don't keep bringing up somebody else's past. You don't keep bringing that, your mate or your friend, or you don't keep bringing up somebody else's past before them. Just as your past has been moved behind you, so you move other people's past behind you and we focus on what lies ahead. You got to get your focus. You got to get your focus in the right direction. And that is what Paul is saying here. Now, as we read chapter three, verse 12, verse 13, verse 14, here's what I want you to know. That's not a sermon topic. That is not a sermon for Wednesday night church. That is a lifestyle that we live and the way that you daily think. You gotta move this from just a, oh, that was a good sermon, pastor. It's not a good sermon, pastor. This is the way I now think. This is the way I now live. And this is the way I now focus my attention. Let's go, verse 14. The next word he uses, I press. I press. You look up that word, it, this was interesting. An intense endeavor. Well, press, an intense 
endeavor. Mike's always saying, give it all you got. It's an intense endeavor. Pursuing the upward call of God. Putting your focus on what God has for you ahead. I press toward that. Let him, I've tried it. I just can't get over this. I've just tried. Come on, press. You're not pressing. You press in your mind for what lies ahead in your home, in your family, in your life, with your kids, in your walk with God, in your relationship with him. I'm pressing forward. An intense endeavor. What we're asking here is, what are you pursuing? What is your focus? What is your one thing? What is your intense endeavor mentally all day long? All day long. My intense endeavor is to think the right thing. My intense endeavor is to say the right thing, is to respond in the right way. My intense endeavor is to press. Now, I'm not there yet, but I am pushing for that place. See, there's a tape out there, and I'm pushing and I'm an athlete in a race and I'm not to the tape yet. Now, I'm not still back in the starting blocks. I'm a long way from where I was when I started, but I am not at the tape yet and I am pressing for that place. And that endeavor generates joy. That generates joy in your life. Let's go on, verse 14. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe that God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Uses the Greeks' knowledge of athletic games for the runner, for the athlete. You compete obeying the rules. And if you disagree with the rules, The rules don't change. I just pray you get them figured out. I just pray God will reveal this thing to you. He doesn't say if you disagree, well, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Well, if you've got another opinion, everybody's entitled to theirs. If you disagree, I pray God will reveal where you're wrong. Because we're all going to compete using the same set of rules. And God has got to make this plain to you. I like that. God make it plain to you. Plain to you. Now, here's the point. To live in joy, you have to live a lifestyle of God's way, his standards, and you see life from God's point of view. I want to go into verse 16, but we got to hold on to the progress we have made. So much begin to go over me and in me to talk about that. Don't miss a couple of Sundays from now. The title is going to be Hold On to the Progress You've Made. Here's a real key for us. And I've just said, you know what? We'll bypass that. We'll see you all in a couple of weeks. We're going to have to get this. We're going to have to hold on. See, we make progress and then we mess up. We make progress. Boy, we're just doing great. What happened to so-and-so? I hadn't seen him in church in a while. Oh, fell off the pumpkin wagon. I'm like, come on, are you kidding me? What is up with all of this? You're going to have to, we can't ever get to the tape that we're running for with you starting over every six weeks. You're going to have, 
Well, I just, I'm going through a hard time. Well, let's get through the hard time, but hold on to the progress that you've made and don't go back there eating with the hogs every few weeks. You got, don't miss it a couple of Sundays from now. It's going to take me about three weeks, but now you need to come and be better to take notes. Verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, Wow. God help us. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your life after mine. And learn from those who follow our example. I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many those whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Now, I'm not there yet, but to be able to write, here's what you need to do. Just follow my example. Wow. That's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. Kids, I want you to grow up and be just like me. I want you to do exactly what dad does. I want you to live your life like I'm living mine. That's where we got to push ourselves. This don't do as I do, do as I say, that don't work. That doesn't work. All that does is maybe let you off of the hook where you're less guilty in your mind about the nonsense that you're doing and saying and talking and watching on TV in front of your kids. But the life you want to live is you can look at your kids, you can look at your family, you can look at your coworkers and say, if you'll do exactly what I'm doing, you're going to be in good shape with God. Pattern your life after me. Verse 18, this generation of church attendees across America don't have verse 18, I can tell you that. Well, I go to church. Are you questioning my Christianity? I go to church. I'm a Christian. Many's conduct. I want you to underline verse 18. I want you to think about this long and hard. All of you interns that are here, I want you to memorize verse 18. Your conduct shows that you are an enemy of Christ. I don't care if you're in Bible college. I don't care if you graduated from Bible college. Today's Christian is missing this. There is a level of conduct that is required if you are going to be on the side of Jesus. So don't tell me you're on Jesus' side and your conduct is different because Paul says you, in fact, are an enemy of Jesus. Sitting right here in church, amen, in the sermon, you are an enemy of Jesus because of what you did Friday night, Saturday night, the way you're living your life. Now, verse 19, this gets me. Not only are they headed for destruction, they brag about shameful things. Uh, And I I don't know if you don't think your pastor will ever read what you post on Facebook. I'm always amazed at people, Christians, who are in church and they are bragging about shameful 
things. Shameful things. I mean, graduates of Bible school, graduates of Christian school posting what they did are posting who they're voting for, who is clearly running on a ticket that is anti-biblical. I mean, what you just wrote is shameful. Well, Tim, who are you to judge? I'm just reading the Bible to you, okay? Verse 19. Uh, be careful. Be careful. If you think it, just go to hell yourself, but don't take a bunch of people with you. I mean, come on. If you think it, don't start posting it and bragging about shameful things on your website, on your internet, on your Facebook. You're going to have to keep your shameful things to yourself. It's nothing to be proud of. And it's certainly nothing to brag about, so Paul says in verse 19. Verse 20, a Christian has dual citizenship, earth and heaven. And because of that, our role on earth is to bring our citizenship in heaven here. Here is where I'm, I am a citizen of heaven and I'm bringing that lifestyle on earth. So earth don't know anything about heaven. Earth doesn't know anything about heaven. I do, I'm a citizen of heaven. So my assignment is to bring the way heaven operates right here. The spiritual-minded believer is not attracted by the things of this world. And, and you know, young people, oh, it just looks so fun. I just want to go, just, I just got to go experience a little fun. When you get saved, I'm not talking about slipping your hand up and telling me you're a Christian. When you get turned on to the Lord, those things aren't, they don't even look fun anymore. Th- those things are not appealing to you. See, when your citizenship changes and you become spiritually minded, the things of this earth grow very, very dim. Well, oh, I just wish I, I, there's nothing in me that wishes I could do that. That looks stupid. That looks foolish. That looks nonsense. That's not a temptation to me when you get your heart right before God. And the reason you are lured by the things of this world is because you do not have a relationship with the Lord where you have been born again. When you get born again, I'm not interested in doing all that. That party don't seem fun to me. Oh, we're going to have a good time. Y'all go have it without me because not any of that looks fun to me. See, your, your, your values completely change. Your, your, your values come, if you remember Lot, he chose the well-watered plain of the Jordan because his values were worldly, but ultimately he lost everything. Moses preferred the pleasure, Moses refused the pleasures of Egypt and he changed the world. Mark eight thirty six. what was it profit a man? To gain the whole world. Oh, what, what's it? Boy, you had the biggest house in the neighborhood and you burned in hell for all eternity. I mean, what did that profit you? Verse 17 through 21. Paul warns the believer against 
imitating the wrong kind of citizenship. You're not a citizen of this world, so stop acting like the world. You, you are a citizen of heaven, so your conduct is different. Paul's weeping. He's deeply concerned over the believers who are imitating the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. You can't help but prospering when you have the mind of Christ. You can't help but walk in joy when you have an eternal perspective. And whatever difficulty you're in the midst of right now, you realize it is a very temporary situation because all eternity has a different outcome for you. Verse 17, what a life to say. What a life that you're living to say, brothers and sisters, pattern your life after mine. Not that I've already obtained it, but I'm not going to let my past rule me. I'm going to press forward to what lies ahead. We hope that you have been blessed, encouraged, and motivated by today's message. If you are interested in more messages by the pastors at CM Church, please log on to our website at www.cmchurch.com and click on our podcast link. You can also purchase series and other messages at our online store. 